I'm reading this morning from 1 Samuel chapter 9. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bacorath, the son of Aphiah of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shalishah, but they did not find them. They went on into the district of Shalem, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. When they reached the district of Zaph, Saul said to the servant who was with them, Come, let's go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, Look, in this town there is a man of God. He is highly respected, and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. Saul said to his servant, If we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered him again. Look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God so that he will tell us what way to take. Well, good morning. When uh, I was married uh, 21 years ago, Keena and I, for our honeymoon... Uh, we ended up in the south of France. My, my mom is French, and so we had family who had places for us to stay, and, and as uh, wedding gifts, uh, people took care of the flights and all that stuff, so we were able to get over there, uh, and we had a place to stay, uh, but we were, we were dirt poor, and uh, we had a $40 a day budget uh, on our honeymoon in France. And we were enjoying the country, and we were enjoying one another, and uh, we had heard from some friends that there's this beautiful village in the south of France, up on this mountaintop, and it's called Ez. And it's absolutely stunning and overlooks the French Riviera. And so we got on a train one day from Nice, and we took the train that said, it's going to Ez. And so we, we took the train, and we had a lot of fun, and, and we got off at the train station, and sure enough, the train says, Ez, uh, but we realized we're on the beach. And it was Ez-sur-Mer. And as you can see, the village of Ez is way up on the mountain. And it's stunning, but it looks over the beach, which is way down there. And so we were lost. We didn't know what in the world to do, and, and we're at the wrong Ez. Uh, and we needed to get up to the top of the mountain. And as we were looking at maps and trying to figure it out, we ran into to two gals who were from California, Teresa and Rebecca, and, and they said, we, you know what, we are going to Ez as well, and we actually know the way. Uh, we were lost, but they knew the way, and, and we, were like, we were so thankful. And they said, you know, we're thinking about um, taking a taxi uh, up there. And we thought, oh, that would be perfect. We can all pitch in, and, and we'll get up to Ez, and it'll be a wonderful day uh, enjoying this beautiful French village. 
And so we get into the taxi, and it, and it starts going up this very steep road, getting to the top of, of Ez. And we're, we're in the taxi maybe no more than five minutes, uh, which, is, which is maybe a sixteenth of the way there. And we start to look at the meter. And as we're translating this, this was before the euro, so it was French francs at the time. As we're translating it, five minutes at the most we're in the taxi. It's already at $45, $45. Bucks. And so we're trying to calculate that times how much further we have to go. It's going to be about a $160 ride, you know, to get up to Ez. So we're like, stop the taxi. <laughs> and the girls, you know, they didn't have a lot of money either. So we're like, we can't afford this. We're like, we can't afford this. So we're, we pay the guy the 45 bucks. Hop out of the taxi, but you got to understand, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a very narrow, steep road. We are literally hugging the cliffs of the mountain as we're walking along and buses are coming by. And, and we walk another half hour, we're exhausted, we're lost, we don't know now exactly how we're getting to Ez. And we look across the street and there's a little pottery shop over here. And so we run over there and... Uh, this, this wonderful man uh, who's the owner of the pottery shop, uh, he comes out and starts speaking French uh, to us. And, and so in my, in my very best uh, French accent, uh, I said to him, We are luster. <laughs> and, and he didn't seem to understand that, so I said it much louder the second time, because that apparently helps. We are luster. And, and he still didn't understand that, but... Out of the back of the room, this wonderful man, he comes out, hello, hello, and he comes out, and we say, and he spoke English, and we said, listen, we're, uh, we're trying to get to the village of Ez. We are lost. And he says, oh, I know the way. And he goes, and then he says this, he says, I will take you there. And we're like, oh, my goodness, what, a, what an amazing deal. And so... We're just having this incredible adventure. You know, our eyes are fixed on getting to this village of Ez. And, and along the way, there's all these God encounters. We, we run into the two gals from California. And then all of a sudden, we run into the guy uh, at the pottery shop. But it just gets better as we're doing this. So we, we hop in. He's like, I will take you there. And, and so we get in, if you know anything about French cars, uh, they're very small. So we get into his little Peugeot, you know, it's like a little circus thing you do. How many people can you fit in this car? And so we're crammed into the, the Peugeot, and, uh, and we're like, thank you so much, you know, that you'll take us to Ez. And he's like, oh, it's not a problem, it's not a problem. Uh, he goes, actually, uh, I am the mayor of Ez. <laughs> and, oh, what? You're the mayor of Ez? Yes, yes. So we get in the Peugeot, and then we start driving along the yellow brick road up to Ez, you know, and, and we get there, and, and then he's like, uh, you know, let me, let me show you my village. And so he takes us around Ez, and he shows us everything, and, and spends, his name's Jacques, and, and so we totally get to know Jacques, and he tells us all about his family, and the girls, you know, we're getting to know them and their lives, and, and you see, this whole journey, we think our day is about getting to the village of Ez. And it was so much more than that. It was about these wonderful God encounters when we were lost and God put people on our path to show us the way to Ez. And we continued on and we had a wonderful day with Jacques and, and with the two gals. And, and then after that, he's all, actually, 
I live in Nice, which is where we were, our little home base was. And he goes, and it's an hour away. And he's like, I will, I'll drive you back to Nice. And, and he took us there. And then not only that, then he took us out to dinner and he treated us like royalty. And he's all, just one thing I want you to do, just tell the people in America about Ez and what a beautiful place it is. It's an incredible journey. And life is so much more than finding Ez. It's what happens along the way. And this story this morning is, is just about that. It's about this incredible journey of the people of Israel and Saul, both who are lost, and about the people that God puts in their paths to point the way to the love of God along this journey. It's a story about lost donkeys. And, you know, as you, stu- as you study this passage, Jackson did a great job last week in reminding us of, of our search for a king. We demand a king. This is how life is meant to be lived. And so everything now is building up in this incredible drama of, of getting a king for Israel. God says, I'm going to give you what you want. It's not going to be pretty, but a king's going to come about, and I'll make sure you get what you want. And so you have this amazing drama and then next thing you know, next thing you know, we get into chapter 9, into this crazy story that doesn't seem to fit, and it's about a bunch of lost donkeys. And you go, Lord, I don't, really? I mean, can we just skip this chapter? You know, I'm telling Jackson, I'm like, really, you stuck me with this one? Lost donkeys. You get the king deal, you know? I get the lost donkeys. He always says, oh, I didn't know, I didn't know, you know? Amazing, this guy. 20 years of working with him. Here we go. Um, but you know what? All Scripture God breathed. All Scripture God breathed. And so we hold on to it because it's the words of God. For us to understand Him, for us to see how to live our life in obedience, for us to be drawn back into, into His beauty, into His grace. I appreciate what Brian Morgan says. He's a pastor in the Bay Area, and he says this about this passage. It's a most intriguing and captivating story. We discover how the invisible, sovereign, and we're going to see that over again, God's sovereign hand, how it works behind the scenes to bring a reluctant prophet, Samuel, and a disinterested candidate, Saul, to the right place exactly at the right time and to give rebellious Israel exactly what they'd asked for. And we're going to see, he says, these key words all throughout the story of seeking and finding. Saul is seeking his lost donkeys. Samuel is searching for a king for Israel. And God is seeking to bring about the two together exactly at the right place and the right time. And he finishes up by saying, ultimately, the story foreshadows our Savior who came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that more importantly, Brian Morgan says, it shows us, and I really see this in this chapter, it shows us what roles we as believers of Jesus Christ, what roles we have in this beautiful divine drama that we're in. And so I hope you'll see that this morning. That's more than finding your lost donkeys. There's a lot more to life. And sometimes we're so immersed in finding these lost donkeys that we miss these beautiful people 
along the way, these God encounters as we're trying to get to Ez. The passage starts off in chapter 9, and it's kind of interesting how it starts. Most of the scriptures don't really pay a lot of attention to physical being. They'll, they'll make little comments about a person's physical makeup. But Samuel, in chapter 9, I mean, it really starts off with, let me tell you about this guy, Saul. Let me tell you over and over again how good-looking he is. Let me tell you how big he is. I mean, he's a strapping guy. And, and most every other man, his head would come to his shoulders. He was a physical specimen, handsome and strong. He was a warrior. You know, I was thinking of, of some people in our body, and, and uh, there's, a, there's a kid in our, in our church family. His name is Avery Westendorf. Have you seen this kid? He, he is a giant of a man. And, and whenever Coal Valley Christian goes out to play another football team uh, and Avery steps onto the field, you just hear this kind of gasp on the other side. It's like, oh my goodness, Goliath has showed up today. You know, This guy is massive, good-looking young kid, and he's just, he's just a big, big man. And, and that's, that's kind of, you know, we, we like guys like that, don't we? And we look to people like that. Look at him, he's big and strapping. This guy must be, he must be a leader. He's so good looking, and he's so strong, and he's so tall. That's what a leader looks like. And you know, we fall into that. We fall into what a leader looks like. There's a book that just came hot off the presses, really just this week, by a gal named Diana Boers. And the name of her book is this. Creating Personal Presence. Look, Talk, Think and act like a leader. Here's what she says in her book. Appearance is number one in making immediate impressions on others. Your appearance is the number one deal. And then her company, her company did a bunch of research, and I don't, I don't know how you come across these numbers, but this is what they came up with about the size of people and how it impacts them and in our culture today. Research shows that taller people, taller than the average height, listen to this, they earn $789 more a year per inch that they are above the average height. Again, I don't know how you come up with these numbers. And there is a whole group of tailors that are out there, and their whole purpose is, is to tailor your pants so that your legs look much longer when you go in for your job interview. Because according to studies, you will get paid more when you're hired like this. We're looking for this. We're looking for this. And you know, again, we do this, we do this in the church. We think this is what a leader is supposed to look like. You know, I was hired just for my good looks alone. <laughs> and, you know, I said, hey, I'm more than just a pretty face, you know? I have a mind. It's just not right. Thank God I have a wife who loves me. (laughs) But we do this in the church, honestly, about looking for what leaders look like. But you know what the deal is with our Lord? He's so opposite of that. And actually, we we really are the ones who are so opposite of what the Lord intended for leadership and and for spiritual spiritual, uh, gifts being poured out. We're drawn to the the big guys that are strapping and, and warriors. We're drawn to that. But God always seems to use the opposite of that so that he's glorified, so that he's glorified. 
And God always makes statements like, and the last shall be first, and the weak will be made strong. God always works that way. And I find it really fascinating about our Lord. Remember when he chose King David, and King David was the least, and he was the youngest, and the Lord says, I don't, I don't look at outward appearance. I go straight to the heart. I go straight to the heart. And he's always doing that. He's always doing that. God is, is going to dive straight into the heart of Saul. He's driving straight into the heart of Israel. He's, he's going for the heart. And what we think spiritual leadership looks like, and we think leaders in general, God is saying, hey, I, I got a bigger picture here. And my whole work, my whole work is about your heart condition. And that's what I'm working on. But he steps into this story, and, he, and he's going to use donkeys to do an incredible work. So as we get into verse 3, you know, again, it's, it just, you kind of scratch your head. You go, okay, here's God doing this work with Israel. And then verse 3 says, Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And you step back and you go, who cares? Who cares that the donkeys are lost? I mean, really? In the middle of all that's going on, who cares? It's like last night. You know, I'm in the middle of the BSU football game, and my son is saying, hey, Dad, can you cut me another piece of pizza? I'm like, you've got to be kidding. Do you, do you see what's going on here? It's not about your pizza. Look. I had to apologize later. Because I was so concerned about lost donkeys. You know, it was... Uh, it's this way in the Bible. You're like, there's such... I mean, God is doing a powerful thing here and he's working on the hearts of Israel and he's, and he's, and he's going to do a movement and God's, God's judgment is coming. I mean, it's a big drama. And then you've got lost donkeys. You go, Lord, what are you trying to teach us? And so the more you dig into the... This is what's fun about the scriptures. The more you dig in, you go, okay, Lord, this is pretty cool, what you're doing with lost donkeys. I'm always amazed how God uses donkeys in scriptures. I mean, they're used a lot, aren't they? Balaam and... and and then you see Jesus riding in on one. I mean, he's got a thing for donkeys. He likes, he likes to use donkeys in the scriptures. All of a sudden, there's this incredible story. Donkeys are lost. So they put a blindfold on Saul. They spin him around. And he's off to pin the tail on the donkey, isn't he? That's his journey. I've got to go find the donkey. And he's gone blindfolded trying to find him. God is using these donkeys to reveal to Saul, to reveal to Saul, and to reveal to us that, you know what, we think we're looking for lost donkeys, but we are looking for so much more. We are looking for so much more. The reality about each and every one of us is we are all searching. We're searching for life. We're searching for real life. And as we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, he starts to fill us up with his life. But it's a journey, and for a lot of us, there was many years of just searching and trying to figure out what it was going on and what life is all about. And we're lost, we're truly lost, until we come and we encounter the living God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sin, each and every one of us. And He says in His Word that if you would believe upon His Son, Jesus, that you shall not perish but you shall have life. You're not lost anymore. You've come into relationship with a living God who loves you to the core. 
And that's what he wants to do with each and every person, each and every person that he created. He wants to have that relationship. And that's the offer that's always on the table. Because you might still be searching. And you know many of your friends are still searching. There's a great song by, really, you know, my, I've told you many times, my favorite band is U2. And they wrote a song many years ago uh, that, that sings to this. Still searching. Haven't found what I've been searching for. And I just want to play the, the song for you for a minute and the words will come up on the screen for a second. song. U2's journey over the years, as you read their lyrics, is, has really been that. And this song is about this incredible journey that, you know, they're searching. They're searching, but they know there's more. They know there's more. And I know that that's the case for many of your friends that God has put you in partnership and life with, that you get a journey with. But you've got to open your eyes that there's more, there's more than just finding lost donkeys, that this journey that we're on is more than that. And, and you may be here this morning and you're searching. And again, I want to remind you that God is saying, hey, that search will end when you allow me to love you, when you receive me as your Lord and Savior. But life, again, is more, so much more than finding your lost donkeys. And so Saul is in search of that, but he, he doesn't even know. And he's, starting to, he's going to start to encounter that that there's more than just these donkeys that are happening. And what we're going to see is God's incredible loving hand from verse 6 on to the end of the, end of the chapter. We see his incredible hand of putting people into his life, of, of touching his life through others. And God is sovereign again, that God is working, and, and there's not just these, they're not just coincidental encounters like our trip to Ez. That wasn't an accident. That was God allowing us to encounter these beautiful people and to reflect his, his love to, to the gals and to the mayor of Ez. It wasn't just a mistake. And God seems to work in that. And he's going to do that with Saul. Here's the one thing you need to know about Saul. And sometimes we forget because we know how Saul turned out. He didn't turn out to be a very good guy. But one thing we cannot forget is that God loved Saul. God loved Saul. And just like with each of us, God goes after his heart. And he gives each and every one of us an opportunity to receive his love. You can say, to heck with you, God, I want nothing to do with that. Or you can find life in Christ and say, I receive that. 
But don't think for one second that God didn't love Saul. He loved him, and he went after him. And you know what? Saul is one of those guys, and, and this is where we miss it sometimes. We miss finding out about the journey of others, their spiritual journey. You see, Saul's family was raised up in an area called Jabesh Gilead. In Judges 20 and 21, we get the story there. And here's what happened. There was a civil war between the tribes of Israel, and they went up against Benjamin, and they went and and attacked. But Jabesh Gilead, where Saul's mother was from, they didn't join in the civil war to go attack Benjamin. And so all the tribal leaders said, listen, since they didn't come and fight this battle with us, now let us do unto them what we did to Benjamin. And so they sent 12,000 of their best soldiers, and they went into Jabesh Gilead, where Saul was raised. And they wiped out, they wiped out, it says in the scriptures very clear, all their men, all their women, all their little ones, very clear, and kill the kids. Kill them. And the only ones we're going to take are the virgins, and we'll do with them as we please. Now, you've got to picture this. This is God's people, the holy people. Saul's only recollection or hearing about the story of God's people would be this story. You want to talk about a bad church experience. I mean, really. Wait, I, w- I went in the middle of church, God's holy people, and they did nothing but destroy. I think sometimes we've got to wake up and ask those questions. Because you're going you're gonna to find people, I know you guys do along the way, that you start talking about things of God and they're very hostile towards you or just like, I don't want anything to do with this. You know? You, you try to give them a book that talks about some of the differences or belief. Don't give me this book. I don't want anything to do with it. I know you guys encounter that. I do. And instead of kind of getting upset about it, I, I, I hope the Lord will open your eyes and so go, you know what? Let's find out about what their journey has been. Because there's a lot of people who have had a bad church experience. And so it's really turned them off to the things of God, and it's turned them off to the love of God. But here's the deal. God doesn't give up. God's bigger than all that. And you know what? You and I, you know, you and I have failed people sometimes. We haven't reflected Christ the way we wanted to. You know, we end up cussing at work, and you're like, oh, that was a great example of godliness. But God wants to use your life. He wants to involve you in his kingdom work. He wants you to start to see that there's more than just donkeys that are lost that you're going after. And so he puts his hand upon Saul, and he starts to to allow him to encounter people who are pointing him the way. Because God loves Saul. He's not just going to let him, well, you know, sorry you had the bad church experience, and, you know, good luck. Hope you make it through life. But he steps right in. And then what we're going to see in in this passage is that all of a sudden these God encounters happen, like our trip to Ez. And they're not coincidence. The world would say they're coincidence. But we live live in the kingdom of God. And God's establishing things. And so it starts off, when they all think they're looking for lost donkeys, that God's going to start to use the saints to point them towards holiness, towards God. And it starts with the servant. It starts with the servant. 
who, by the way, is in a lowly position. Remember, God uses opposite. He's in a lowly position. And it's been three days. It's been a hard journey. It's been a long struggle. And, and Saul's like, you know, enough of this. And my dad's probably getting worried about me. And to heck with the donkeys. And, and then the servant speaks up, right? He says, well, wait a second. Wait a second. Behold, there is a man of God who's held in high honor. Let us go there. And perhaps, perhaps, he can tell us the way that we should go. Perhaps, you think? Samuel, who's tied in with the living God, might be able to show these two the way to go. Towards the Lord. And so the servant speaks up. The servant is being used of God. And this journey is so much, and you've got to remember this, this journey is so much more about, than about finding lost donkeys, and it's twofold. It's for Saul to open his eyes that there's, there's something he's searching for, but it's also for the servant. And that's you and me, folks. We are servants of the living God. We are followers of Christ. And if we would get outside of this whole realm of, oh, life is just about getting to Ez, and, and, and that's what it's all about, and we miss the encounters along the way, then we're missing the joy of the kingdom work of God and Him using our lives to bring His glory. It's about the servant and it's about Saul. It's about both of us on this journey. And we think it's getting to the top of the mountain, but so much more. And so the servant speaks up and, and, and he is willing. And the servant is being prompted by the Lord. And the question we always have to ask is, Lord, are we available when you're prompting us? You see, after this three-day journey, the servant could have said, you know what, I'm sick of this too. I'm tired. Let's just go home. And yet there was this incredible opportunity to point Saul to the man of God. And so he was willing. He was available, even in his exhaustion, which sometimes we get tired of running the race with some people who don't know the Lord. You get fed up with them. You know, it's like, yeah, that, actually, I don't even know if I want him in heaven with me. You know, tired of him. And God's saying, hey, are you available to point this person towards God? And so he does. Now, Saul, again, who, you know, again, I'm sure wants nothing to do with godliness, who, who just can't stand it, who's kind of repulsed by it, you know, kind of like we are with the Catholic priest, repulsed by God. He says, I don't, you know, we don't have money. Now, you've got to picture it. Saul, who comes from a wealthy, strong, doesn't have any money, you know, he's looking for a way out. And here's what's cool. All of a sudden, coincidence, all of a sudden the, the servant reaches in his pocket. Oh, what do you know? The poor servant, by the way, reaches in his pocket. I have a quarter of a shekel of silver here. It's like, are you kidding me? You know, so Saul's like, darn it, I can't get out of this gig. <laughs> i got to go to church, apparently. And so he goes to church. And his servant points him in the direction of God. He's available and he's used. And God is starting to move in a way to say, hey, you know what? I want to reveal to you that life is so much more than searching out lost donkeys. Saul, you still haven't found what you're looking for, and I'm trying to point you the way. 
which is right into the arms of the loving God. And so the servant says, hey, let's go this direction. So they end up going, and they're used of God. You know, this happens in our life on a daily basis. If we're open, and if we open our eyes, that there's more to the journey. Keena and I are right in the middle of doing a, a, a refinance on our house because the interest rates are crazy good. And so, so we're refinancing, and if you've ever done this, you get, you get this packet that's just a thousand pieces of paper, and you've got to sign all these things. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be a real pain. And, and, and so we end up calling this guy who works for the bank and saying, hey, can we meet? Because I don't know what I'm signing, and I don't, you know, what am I supposed to sign, what am I not supposed to sign? And so my, my lost donkey is, is all this paperwork, you know, and, and that's what I'm going after. My eyes are fixed on getting this signed so we can hopefully uh, get the refi. So we show up at the bank, and, and we get in there, and this guy's a real nice guy, and, and, um, and he's, like, he's like, oh, I see you're a pastor. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. And, oh, you know, you know what, I grew up in the Catholic Church and stuff, and, and he's just, I'm like, hey, uh, I came to, uh, to find my lost donkeys. We need to sign these papers. <laughs> Can we get to the paperwork? Because there's a lot of papers. Yeah, and so then I married this woman, and she's from, she's from uh, the Lutheran background. This is my second wife. And, and he proceeds for the next 20 minutes to start talking about his whole spiritual journey. And my eyes for the first 10 minutes, seriously, were fixed on finding the lost donkey. I'm like, I'm here to get the paperwork done. And why are you telling me all this? And then God's like, zap. He's like, hey, Richie, it's more than finding lost donkeys. And so then we ended up in this beautiful conversation. I don't even know if we got the paperwork signed. I really don't. I, I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm hoping it ended up. But really, you know what? The Spirit will prompt you, and you've got to be available because people are still searching everywhere. They're looking for life. And God wants to use you in the middle of it. And so he uses the servant. And then next thing you know, they show up at the well. Here's strapping Saul. And the way that the Hebrew puts it in, it's almost like the girls are, are overlapping each other in the conversation. You know, handsome man alert, you know? We're at the well. And if you know anything about wells in the Bible, that's usually the place where, you know, people get married. There's connections that happen up at the well, as we know with Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Rachel. The well is a betrothal scene. And so all the girls are like, oh, you know what? Let us tell you about Samuel. He just, he just came into town. He just showed up. Behold, go seek him. And the women say, and you will find him, the man of God. Let us point you in the right direction. He just came into town. Coincidence? I think not. Coming upon these women at the well at the appropriate time where they're actually there and they knew what was going on? Coincidence? God encounters. God encounters. And God wants to use your life to be part of those. Both for the servant and the woman at the well and the one who is still searching for what he has not found. Little does Saul know that his betrothal is going to be as the husband to Israel, the king of Israel. And he ends up there. And then the next God encounter is finally he comes into the presence of the man of God, of Samuel. And he enters up and he's looking and he's looking and what Samuel's going to do is he's going to take his eyes off the lost donkeys and he's going to say, Saul, get your mind off the lost donkeys. They've been found. Don't worry about them. There's so much more to this journey that you're on. 
You don't even realize it yet. And I'm going to point you to the living God. But what I want you to do is I want you to come, and we're actually headed up to worship. And I want you to join me in worship. And he sets out this incredible banquet before Saul. And he gives him the choicest piece of meat, which was meant for him. And it was of the highest honor. And he says, no, this piece of meat has been set aside for you specifically. Coincidence? I don't think so. And here, and he treats them like royalty, like the mayor of Az did for us. And he sups with them. And Saul comes in to encounter the living God through Samuel. Still searching, doesn't even know what he's going after. But God is using all these people along the way to point them to the living God. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your incredible grace. I thank you, Father, that you do not stop going after the hearts of men. And, Father, that your sovereign hand, your, your authority, your rule, your kingship is over all of this. And yet, at the same time, you give us free will to choose. But we're blown away by your grace. How Even when we kick against you and rebel against you, you do not give up on us. And, Father, I pray for these dear saints in this body. I pray that you would use our lives, that you would open our eyes to see that there's so much more than, than going after lost donkeys, that you would empower us and, and move us to point people towards you and your love, Father. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.